630 Chad Inside Sports with Reed Wilkins. Weekdays at 6 on 630 Chad. Well, good evening. Thanks a lot for tuning in tonight. My name is Reed Wilkins, Inside Sports on 630 Chad. Today we feature a best of edition. You'll hear some of our most emotional, funniest, most informative interviews from the last few weeks here on the show. And man, we covered a, a wide variety of topics, and, and I really think. We had a lot of emotion on the show in recent weeks. And, of course, it starts on October 26th, the day Joey Moss passed away. Uh, man, what a, what, what, a, what a tough week that was. And, of course, we're going to remember Joey for a long time here in the city of Edmonton, northern Alberta, and I think even across the country. It was, um, it was not long before 6, about 20 to 6, 15 to 6 uh, on that Monday, and I started seeing uh, the, the news break that, that Joey had unfortunately passed away. And, Dave Campbell and I, the producer of the show, started uh, you know trying to line up guests on short notice to to come on and speak about Joey. And what was incredible, everybody wanted to do it, even though people were sad and, and were going through a lot. People wanted to speak about Joey, and we're going to start it off tonight with a former Edmonton Oiler, George Larac, remembering Joey Moss. Well, to start, uh, it, it, it's a sad news that uh, when I heard about it and stuff. Uh, you know, it's very sad to hear. The Edmonton Oilers family lost a legend. We lost a legend uh, uh, with the loss of Joy Moss. Uh, you know, all those years I was in Edmonton, he was there. He was there from day one. And uh, he's, a, he's a kid that was full of energy. Uh, it's unbelievable. Like, whether we had a good day or a bad day, we lost the game, doesn't matter what happened. He was always there. He was always smiling, singing for us. I had a wrestling match with him all the time. We used to wrestle because he's a big wrestling fan. And I would beat The Rock, and he would be another wrestler, and I would let him beat me. And, you know, there's so many memories that I have with him that, that throughout those years that, especially a guy like me that, that did the job that I did, that the intensity that it, that, that it took to be a tough guy, having him around uh, energy-wise for me, it was, it was a relief. It was, it was something fun to be around him and forgetting almost what my job was, what I had to do with the team. And, and, and it's important having a guy like that around for a lot of guys that, you know, there's so much pressure playing the NHL and playing the game and having to win. And, and him, he didn't care about none of that stuff. He was there, always smiley, he came to see you. If you didn't feel good, he sat beside you and be like, hi, and be like, how you doing? And tap you on the back. And, and it was just amazing. I'll never forget him. Um, you know, and, and, and it's been years that, that I played in Edmonton, but there's so many. If we I talk about all the memories that I had about him, it would be nonstop. It, it, it would never, never be ending because uh, everybody has their own memories about him, and there's so many. And, and I feel fortunate that all those years that he was there, he was in Edmonton, and he was, that he was like the son in the dressing room. He was such an important part of the team. And uh, it's, uh, it's, it's very sad news to hear about his loss. George, uh, you know, in 2006, you, you guys were that, that one win away. I said earlier, I'm sure he, at some point, he would have been passed the cup by one of you guys to, to raise it himself. Uh, what do you remember about him in, in 2006? And obviously, um, you know, you guys had so many special moments uh, with the anthem, and he was always there behind the bench belting it out, which, he, you know, he continued to do into the new building and up till last season. You know, there's a couple of things that we did. First of all, uh, in 2006, we, we're the team that really started to have the, the fans carry me out the, the anthem when Paul Lorio used to sing it, and he raised the mic to do it. The second, second thing that we did, we, we got joy to even come and sing it. It became a tradition where he was sitting behind the bench where he was to even sing. 
sing the anthem and he was there. And, and it was just it, something that became a tradition. And, and it, you know, Joey gave so much hope to, to people that were suffering from Down syndrome to show that you could pursue your dreams and you could do anything you want to do. He was such a model for everyone and, and for people that suffer from, from anything. You'd look at him light of the day and the person that he was, and it brought you hope. You look at him and you're like, what a great man. And nobody has a bad thing to say about him. It's just that a kid that, 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 that lived with joy. And, and it was amazing. And, and, and it was, it was you know, in the Aldridge game, everybody saw him sing. Everybody saw the energy that he had. He sang every national anthem. He was there. We felt him, uh, you know, during, uh, during uh, you know, every game. And, and on top of that, if I go even further than that, uh, we even did the Joy Moss Cup that we did. Uh, in, in training camp, like to honor him, that what would when we did a game between one another and stuff. So and and it was to honor him, and it was awesome. And he took pride of uh, the, the the team that would win the Joy Moss Cup. He would come and take a picture with it. It, it was Joy Moss Cup we did with the fort. They always separated the, in training camp uh, in four teams, and uh, he was part of everything that we did. We always made sure he was part of it, and he was just a tremendous person. George, I mean, that's that's so well said, and, and I thank you for doing this under tough circumstances. Um, before I let you go, I'll just leave. If you wanted to say anything else, you can. If if, uh, if, if you need to move on, I understand as well. Yeah. Well, I just want everybody to know that, you know, one thing that we are, you have, we have to realize is the reason why he was there is because of Wayne Gretzky. Wayne Gretzky is the one that brought him there, and even though Wayne, when you left the team, he always made sure that for life, Joy was going to have a job in the Oilers organization, and 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 it's such a great gesture by Wayne because Joy became a role model for kids that were suffering for Down syndrome around the world. He was accessible for everyone. He was such a great man. He had such a great life. He was such so much energy, such a pleasure to be around with. So you know, like let's all like together, like pass pass on our condolences to the entire Oilers family to. The Gretzky's family, to Joey's Moss family, to everyone affected by this, and know that you know I want all you all to know that he was very, very happy. He lived happily, and he was well loved by by, by everyone. That's George Larackman. He he puts it so well. Incredible memories of Joey Moss, who passed away at the age of fifty-seven. We have a lot to get to tonight. Uh, we'll have a we'll have another story that includes uh, Joey Moss, but introduces you to somebody else with Down syndrome who's helping a hockey team here in the province. Paul Molitor is on tonight. Serge Savard as well. We'll have a, an incredible story from Steve Sir about uh, an altercation he had while playing in the Swiss Basketball League. More ahead, best of inside sports on Oilers and Double E Radio, 630 Chet. When you start listening to stories, reading stories about Joey Moss, I, I, I think you realize that, at least I did anyway, that his impact stretches even further than, than you might have initially believed or, or even thought possible. So much positive energy, so many uh, people's and people involved with the Oilers and the Double E that, that he had an impact on, people in the community. And, and he really was an inspiration. And uh, we're going to hear a segment here uh, that we did on the show a, a few days after Joey passed away. It features Ryan Rosnowski and his father, Wayne. Ryan is 41 years of age. He works for the Lethbridge Hurricanes, and he has Down syndrome. And here's that conversation with Ryan and Wayne. 
Please welcome to Inside Sports from the Lethbridge Hurricanes. He, uh, well, I'll let you, I'll, I'll ask him in a minute here what he does, but it is Ryan Rosnowski checking in. Hi, Ryan. My name's Reed. How are you? I'm good. Nice to talk to you. And we also have uh, Ryan's dad, Wayne, on the line. Hey, Wayne, welcome to Inside Sports. How's it going? It's going great, Reed. Thanks a lot for coming on the show, guys. Ryan, I'm hoping you can tell me what do you do for the Lethbridge Hurricanes? I uh, I do I work for the hockey team. I also I do laundry for them and water bottles for game days and set up the benches for the team for the team and help out the coaching staff and and help out the trainers. Okay, and you've been doing this about about four years or so. Uh, yes. And are there any other junior teams that you've worked for in your career? I worked for the Grand Prairie Storm. And awesome. I think that was about it. Okay. Did you do the same kind of stuff with the Storm? Uh, yes, I have. Now, how did you first get involved with these teams, uh, Ryan? Like, was it was it hard to get the job, or what did you have to do? I just had to just... I, uh, I got hired by Dave Campbell from Storm. And then I worked with him for a while, and then I got a transfer from them to the Hurricanes. Okay, awesome stuff. Uh, Ryan, your dad, Wayne, is uh, um, uh, also on the line. And, of course, uh, Ryan, you do have Down syndrome. Wayne, tell me what it has meant for you as a, as a hockey dad to see Ryan get involved with these organizations. You know, uh, Reed, it's been, it's been tremendous. It's... Uh, to see uh, everybody wants their kids to, to fit in and be accepted right and, and for Ryan to have the opportunity to uh, be a part of, of a couple hockey teams and, and an integral part and, and to the relationships he developed with the with the players and the teams it's uh, really uh, really touches your heart and, and makes us proud of uh, not just Ryan but uh, the people that are involved with these hockey teams and, and the hockey world it's been uh, it's been just a great great opportunity for him and uh, you know his uh, self-esteem his confidence uh, just been tremendous yeah absolutely uh, Ryan can you tell us a little bit about um, uh, about your, your your favorite hockey team who is your favorite NHL team okay and and did you uh, did you know about Joey Moss and his story yeah, I did. I got to see him on TV once in a while. I saw him get a Stanley Cup ring with Kresge. And, and, and that inspired me to do these jobs with the Hurricanes and the Storm. Well, that's awesome to hear that, and and I think that that's a, a really positive story and going to be part of uh, of Joey's uh, legacy, Wayne. And I, you know, you and I talked briefly this this afternoon, and um, you know, Wayne, I, I, I'm glad we're talking over you and Ryan tonight, but I, I do think you know we got to use that word inclusion, and and you got to always go up and talk to somebody, right? Find out who they are, and and uh, and, and let them let them help and let them learn, right? I think that's one of the big lessons here. Oh, absolutely, and just just learning to meet people and just to understand who they are and what makes them them tick. And uh, you know, you, you think about the um, 
how many people Joey Moss touched. Um, you know, and I know how many people our son has touched just in a couple hockey teams. And of course, he was, I think we talked about it before, he's a swimmer and was in mainstream swimming. And, and, they get to know people that are a little bit different than the mainstream as people and and this really is inclusion and and it's it's really important and um and it also affects you know it's certainly been positive for our son but i really think it's been positive for a lot of people and and again and then if you don't know, bring it back to joey moss and how many people know him and you know he's an icon in, in edmonton and alberta and, and other places and he's a part of part of the community and and that's really what you want when you talk about inclusion brian i want to ask you this what's uh what's the favorite your favorite part of the job with the hurricanes the favorite part of the job is how you help out the players or what they want and what they need and give them what they what they are looking for for the season and upcoming playoffs and winning a championship ring like Joey Mostert. Right on. Now, I, Ryan, I got to ask about your swimming, and, and maybe you you don't like to brag, but you're allowed to when you're on the radio. How how good a swimmer are you? I'm a really good swimmer. I have a whole bunch of records. Um, American records uh, for Zemfid uh, swimming. And uh, uh, I'm, I'm a breaststroker and a freestyler, and that's my, that's my two favorite swims. Okay, so you're really, do you, do you still swim a, a lot, or did you maybe swim more when you were a little younger? Oh, I swim more when I was younger. Now I don't because of COVID 19. Brian, who who was it that got you interested in swimming? Was it was it your dad Wayne, or is it something you liked? Who who got you into the pool? Um, my dad took me to the pool. My mom as well, and myself. I drive myself to go to the pool and work hard and get ready for the competition. So Wayne, does he get the athletic genes from you? <laughs> no, from his, his mom. <laughs> <laughs> It's actually a really neat story. Um, I coached uh, women's softball. I started when I followed my well, the lady that's my wife now. But anyway, when we were dating, she was a ball player. Next thing you know, you end up you know standing at first base, and two years later, you're the coach, right? And one of my players was a swim instructor, and Ryan was just deathly scared of water at the time. And, and this girl, she, uh, Sharon Klinger now, Sharon Wine at, at the time. And she, I think she's, uh, in your, they live in Pinocchio, so she's probably in your radio range. And uh, right. <laughs> anyways, Sharon said, I'll get him swimming. Well, sure enough, at Marion Aquatics Pool and Prince Albert, Sharon got Ryan to be a, a pretty decent swimmer. And he went to the Special Olympics trials in Saskatchewan and uh, <laughs> made the team to go to Halifax the next year of the national games. And, of course, being kind of competitive sports people, Red Cross wasn't enough for swimming, so we put Ryan in a swim club. Only there wasn't a special old swim club, so we put him in the mainstream swim club in Prince Albert. He was 15 at the time, and he's been a member of a mainstream swim club for 26 years now. So <laughs> he's met a lot of people. Obviously, you talk about inclusion and, and uh, you know, and... and 
showing people in the community a different face uh, of people with Down syndrome or, or people that are a little bit different than other people. And uh, he's been in a lot of pools with a lot of kids over the years. So. <laughs> and he's, well, uh, he's a pretty decent swimmer. Well, and he's pretty well known, Ryan, because don't you get to, uh, do you lead the team out onto the ice or to tell me what you do with the Hurricanes at the start of the game? So at the start of the game, we go in a, in a group and then we go to, uh, you follow the goalie down to the end and then I run in to the door, open the door and they, um, they, they follow me in to the, onto the ice. Cool. That's up. Well, that sounds like a lot of fun, Ryan. You must be missing hockey though quite a bit. Are you waiting for the Hurricanes and the WHL to come back soon? Yeah, they're coming back on the eighth of January. Yeah. Well, you obviously have it circled on your calendar. Uh, so, so there you go. That, that is awesome, uh, Ryan and Wayne uh, Rosnowski. Thanks a lot for for checking in. Uh, I, I think th- this is an awesome story. Good for you guys for. Uh, for sharing it. Ryan, you do great work with the Hurricanes uh, and Ian Lethbridge and all the best with your swimming. Before I let you go, is there anything else that you'd like the audience to hear tonight for either of you? Uh, Just go out there and fill your dreams. What can I say, Reed? That is well said. Go out there and fulfill your dreams. <laughs> That's Brian, you nailed it. Wayne, thank you so much. Ryan, thank you so much. This was an honor to have you on the show. Uh, and again, all the best with, with the swimming and, and enjoy the hurricane season when it gets going again. Thank you very much. Thank you, Reed. Man, that was awesome. A lot of positive energy there. And, and Ryan can't wait for the Western Hockey League to get going. I'm sure you can either. Absolutely. Yeah, we need some hockey to watch. Don't forget the Alberta Junior League is going to get going on Friday. But uh, just a great story there about uh, Ryan, the work he does, and uh, and how Joey Moss affected his life too. Okay, we got to take you into the 630 News. Coming up, Baseball Hall of Famer on base for one of the most famous home runs in baseball history we're going to connect with paul molitor best of inside sports on 630 chet hey appreciate you tuning in tonight best of inside sports here on 630 chet during the world series caught up with baseball hall of famer paul molitor involved in one of the greatest moments in blue jays history on the way a swing and a the magic moment 27 years ago october 23rd 1993 the blue jays up three games to two in the world series trailing in the bottom of the ninth trailing six five against the philadelphia phillies they uh get a couple of guys on base and joe carter hits the home run that wins it all and one of the guys that was on base who finished second in MVP voting that year. He was in the top 10 in MVP votes multiple times, second rookie of the year in 1978, uh, made another playoff appearance, a couple of playoff appearances earlier in his career with the Milwaukee Brewers, uh, used to manage the Minnesota Twins. Yes, he is a legend. He is in the Baseball Hall of Fame. Paul Molitor joins us on Inside Sports. Paul, how are you doing? I'm doing well. <clears throat> I'm up here in Minnesota, and, uh, you know, just kind of... Uh, trying to survive like everybody in these challenging times 
I've uh, been enjoying watching a little postseason baseball, although it's been a little bit strange given all the circumstances that MLB has had to face this year. But I appreciate you asking. Things are good for me. Well, I, let's let's do a quick one on, on the current World Series. Um, it, it's been interesting to watch. Obviously, a pretty exciting finish the other night. But, man, some things are a lot different, Paul. The, the opener, you know, you got a pitcher who's a reliever starting the game. I think there's a, a lot more analytics every year in the league. What, sure. what are your thoughts on how the game is managed and played these days? Well, you know, I, I don't want to take up our full 15 minutes with one answer, but uh, th things have changed uh, exponentially over the past, you know, 10 years in particular, and even, you know, going back further than that. I, I you know, I, I was in a managerial position not that long ago, and so, um, you know, I learned a, a lot about the new wave of information and certainly think a lot of it has its place and relevance in terms of how they play and decisions made by managers. But I also think we have to be a little bit careful by taking that too far in that, you know, we're, we're not running com computerized robots out on another field. These are human beings and people and they're all wired a little bit differently and and I think we've gone a little bit too far, too fast, and I, I think eventually we're going to learn to strike a little bit better balance. Paul, look, I'm going to dive in because I know people hear your name and uh, there's a couple questions they, they want me to ask for sure. So I, I'm going to ask uh, one of them right now. 1993, Joe Carter, uh, I believe you'd single to reach base. Uh, you're on first base representing the winning run in that game, and, and Joe goes deep. Can you just take everybody sure. back to, to that inning, that moment, that feeling? Well, I'll, I'll tell you that it's a pleasure to go down memory lane as far as my time with the Jays, and in particular having a chance to win that World Series. I, I guess the thing that is, is hardest for me to grasp is that it's been so long ago now. I mean, time just has a way of moving from year to year and season to season. But, you know, um, for me to transition up to Toronto and uh, be very welcomed by, you know, the city and its fans, really not only just in Toronto and Ontario, but across the country. And then to have it kind of unfold the way it did with the Jays defending their championship for the year before. And then that particular moment, um, you know, we, we fell behind after an early lead in game six and we just stayed with it. Um, you know, I was able to get a hit off Mitch Williams, which had followed a Ricky Henderson walk. And, you know, Joe created one of the most magical moments in baseball history with, with a clinching, not only game clinching, but series clinching home run. And, you know, to be a part of that celebration, um, it was just my most memorable time in the game. I, I was fortunate to do a lot of things and play a long time but that easily stands out as, as my most treasured moment uh, with a baseball uniform on. That, that home run by Joe, it, it was a bit of a line drive, and, and you're on first. Um, were, were you ever thinking, okay, this is going to hit the wall and I'm going to have to score all the way from first here to win the game? I know it happened pretty fast. but Yeah, well, I, I think that's a really good point for uh, – you know, reference and as far as my recollection, you know, I, I remember getting to first base and John Cruck was playing over there and it was just so intense and the crowd was so loud. And I just remember telling John, I said, man, this is awesome. And, and, you know, they had Mitch Williams on the mound and, and John wasn't 
wasn't too uh, quickly to agree with me. I don't think he was enjoying that moment so much. Maybe he had a foreshadowing of what might happen. But you're right. Joe hit the ball, and it was kind of a flat-footed swing, and, you know, he had a couple of strikes on him, so he was kind of protecting, but he certainly barreled up the ball, and it didn't get very high. And I, I take off running, and like you said, I, I know that if the ball hits the wall or caroms off, you know, I, I was going to be the winning run. So I, I was in full sprint mode and was probably – just making my turn around second base when I realized that the ball had cleared the wall. I, I didn't track it fully from bat to its landing spot, but I did watch the left fielder who I believe was Pete in Cavilia. I saw his shoulders slump and, and then I realized that the ball had cleared the fence and and then I have I probably had about the best 180 foot jog of my life, you know, getting to the celebration at home plate. You mentioned the Blue Jays had won the year before, and you'd been with Milwaukee where you'd already had an incredible career. You guys had been to the playoffs a couple of times early in your right. career. What was it like joining the Blue Jays, joining a championship team? I mean, obviously they were adding a great player, but was it was it hard to fit in? Tell me about that transition. You know, um, having played uh, a, a long time, I mean, 15 years in one franchise at the major league level, is it's just not the norm. You're, it's something that you're grateful for. And you get to a certain point where you feel like you might have a chance to be one of those rare players who plays a long time and never has to change uniforms. But after the 92 season, um, we were kind of in the at the apex of the whole large market, small market problems that the game was facing and it became apparent to me that in all likelihood that I wasn't going to be able to finish my career as a brewer and uh, you know one of the first teams to come calling were the Blue Jays and you know naturally for me if I was going to have to consider leaving you're going to look for an opportunity to hopefully have a chance to win and not only have the Blue Jays won in 92 but when you send in people like Paul Beeston and Pat Gillick um, to try to to sell the deal, it, it just became apparently clear to me rather quickly that that was going to be a tremendous fit for me and a tremendous opportunity. So tough to leave a city that you played for for that long and, and never, you know, saw into fruition your desire to be a world champion as a member of that Brewer franchise. But I knew that Toronto was going to be a, a, a great fit for me. And, and thankfully, it worked out. Um, I couldn't have even imagined in my very first year of leaving having the opportunity, but that's the way things played out. There's so much I could ask you about that season. I'm just gonna I'm just gonna throw you you one more. And and I remember that summer because I, I watched a lot of Blue Jays games that summer, and you guys were such a popular team. But um, I I want to ask you about John Olerud. I mean, so, so much about Alomar and Carter's home run and, and well deserved. But Olerud hit 363, and I think into early August he was still flirting with uh, with, with 400. And I believe sure. he was only 24 at the time. I mean. Well, how come he was so good? What do you remember about Olerud? Yeah, you know, we had a lot of special players, and, and you know, John was still relatively early on as far his, as his career. And, uh, you know, he just had that knack. He had, he had the beautiful left-handed swing, tremendous patience. He knew the strike zone. Um, he just had a way of, of, of hitting the ball solidly um, at an extremely high rate. You know, my, my old story goes and was that – that's my first spring training, you know, and getting to know the guys. I, I had asked John about if he ever thought that he could win a batting title. And he kind of gave me a funny, puzzled look. And he, I think his response was along the lines of, 
you know, I'm big and I'm slow and this and that and all the reasons that he didn't think it could happen. And I, I just was having a conversation. I said, you know, John, I've been watching you the last couple of years, man. I said, you know, you, the, the line drive percentage that you have, your, your lack of chase pitches out of the zone. I said, there's no question you can win a batting title. And lo and behold, you know, he's hitting 400 in August. He ends up hitting 363. And I, and I remember at, after the season and, and he had that, that batting crown, I, I said, if I knew I was going to finish second, I would have waited one more year to have that talk. But uh, <laughs> so he, uh, he had an incredible season, as did so many guys that year. And um, one of the best teammates you could ever ask for. You know, Johnson, uh, he's a Northwest uh, State guy, you know, up there in, Was in Washington, Seattle area. And, um, you know, just a tremendous demeanor, tremendous person. And I really enjoyed my time of having a chance to play, play with him. Paul Molitor joining us tonight at Inside Sports. It's interesting how you tell that story about Olerud, and it kind of leads me into something else I wanted to ask you. And I'm wondering whether it's someone who's already in the major leagues, or maybe it's something you went through early in your career, or maybe you're, uh, you know, a young kid, a boy or a girl taking up baseball or any other yeah. sport. Is that is that part of the journey, or maybe a mental roadblock where sometimes people have to? accept how good they can be i know that maybe sounds like it should be so hard to accept but clearly older had to had to deal with yeah. it. Is that an important message yeah and, and i'll say it wasn't that john didn't expect to be successful i just think that was maybe some boundary or that he had maybe had put limitations on himself on and and we all know um what kind of a hitter he was but i i think just generally kids that love to participate in sports um you know we all learn the lessons of life through sport there's just so many parallels that uh go from from the games and the participation to what our life actually transcend into being from you know goal setting and cooperation and team play and overcoming an adversary i mean the list the list goes on and on but i think as far as the mental toughness part of the sport um you know we all are going to face times where we feel that we're not very good at what we're trying to do and somehow some way I, I think you have to be able to overcome that to to end up reaching the level of success whether it's as a you know a young athlete or a high school athlete a collegiate athlete and for the guys who are fortunate enough to see professional playing time you're always battling that you know i remember as a young player and having a couple of good years as a young player but you know you go home in the winter and over the course of those four months you know that doubt would start to creep in and somehow you had to go back to spring training and, and prepare yourself to say, yes, I, I can do this again. And, and sometimes maybe even having that, that little bit of doubt can, can even fuel your work ethic and, and how you go about trying to accomplish your goals. So, yeah, I, I think it's a big part of sport. I think we all learn it. I think once we figure it out a little bit as veterans and older players, you learn to try to pass on some of those things to the younger guys. Paul, just a couple more for you. These are kind of standard ones that I, I ask a lot of ex-players. Sometimes they uh, they stump people. Sometimes there's an answer right away. So I'm curious to see uh, where you're going to go here. Okay. Any, any current major league player that reminds you of yourself? Oh, man. I, uh, that one does stump me a little bit. Um, and primarily because there's just not a lot of emphasis on ball players that you know spray the ball around take pride in not striking out try to be really efficient at running the bases and contributing defensively you know i i don't know i'm i'm i'm, I'm having a little, little trouble figuring that one um 
But yeah, through the years, there's been guys that have reminded me of similar games. But in today's game, I'm, I'm, I'm a little bit drawing a blank. I, you remember Michael Young from Texas? Yep. He retired a few years back, but he was one guy that played quite a bit of time after I had retired. And I, I really thought his game kind of uh, fit, fit that mode. And anybody who's still out there, you know, hitting for high average and still managing to maintain some level of power are, are probably guys that fit that. Okay, and here's the real fun one, and uh, I, I'm gonna I'm looking forward to this answer because if you factor in the postseason, you played over 2,700 games in the major leagues. Who's the best player you ever played with, and who's the best player you ever played against? Yeah, that, those are good questions, and uh, it's really hard to pick one best teammate. Um, you know, I kind of break it into chapters of my of my playing. I, I've, I played for three franchises, and there's no question that my time in Milwaukee, um, Robin Yount was far superior to any other teammate I had. He was a guy who won a couple of MVPs um, at different positions. He played shortstop at a very high level in center field as well. And then I went to Toronto, and we had so many good players, but, you know, Roberto Alomar was a guy that could just, beat you in so many ways we all know his defensive prowess and his instincts as a base runner his clutch hitting ability uh so he he stands out for me during my tenure as a blue jay and then i came back to minnesota and had a chance to briefly play with kirby puckett and um he was a guy that elevated everybody around him he's got a couple of he, he had a couple of rings and so those three guys probably stick out as teammates i i think players i've played against um you know, there, there's a lot of really good players that were complete players. Uh, you know, Ripken was one of those guys. I, th I thought Don Madeney was one of those guys. You know, Barry Bonds obviously was the most dominant player in his league for a long time. But they're fortunate to play against a lot of really, really good players and also pair up with them as teammates. So, you know, those, those provide some really good memories. Paul, uh, awesome to talk to you. Well, I, I should just quickly uh, ask you here, sneak in one more. Just let let fans know uh, what you're up to now. And I, and I hope you realize, you know, even here in, in Western Canada, so many people loved watching you play and love those Blue Jays teams. So they're happy to hear from well, you and, and let them know what you're doing. I appreciate that, Reid. I'll just say that, you know, my time as, as a Jay, yet I, I never really realized before I went there that just – how from coast to coast in Canada that they followed the Jays. And when we would go out to Seattle, for instance, we'd have just such a tremendous influx of people coming down from uh, the Western provinces to watch us play. And even in Minnesota, we'd have people coming down from the central provinces to watch us play. They, they just followed us around, you know, it just it was so much support. So, you know, to be remembered after, you know, two and a half decades or more, it, it's flattering to me. I appreciate it. Um, yeah, I, my life now, I, I mean, I'm obviously getting up there in years. and I, I'm not currently working in the game, but still have desire to do so. I just hope that MLB can figure things going out, think, figure things out moving forward with this virus. But things are good for me, and, uh, you know, I just feel blessed. God's really, you know, laid out a great plan for my life. I'm grateful for that, and... And grateful for my time in the game. It, it, it served me very well. Yeah, that was cool. Paul Molitor, great hitter, great ball player, helped the Blue Jays win the World Series in 1993. We will remember Howie Meeker when we get back. Howie Meeker, amazing life, amazing career, great hockey player. 
and then on uh, then went on to a long career in broadcasting. Gord Cutler was a producer on uh, Hockey Night in Canada, worked a lot behind the scenes with NHL broadcasts, and uh, he had a great story about the first time he met Howie Meeker. I, I can tell you, you know, a funny, uh, a very original story when I first, very first met Howie, uh, and that was uh, back in the late 80s. Uh, I was a very young uh, AP at TSN at the time. I was working on a, on a game. Uh, I can't remember. It was either in Calgary or Edmonton, and... Uh, I had really never met Howie. I'd grown up like everybody else, and I'd watched him on TV and, and thought that he was this great guy. And now I'm out there, and I've got to go, and I'm, I'm doing stats on the game. So I'm going to be sitting beside Howie all night long and feeding him information and, and doing my little part. And in those days, we used to start every broadcast day with a breakfast meeting. Everybody would meet in the hotel restaurant. We'd have breakfast, and we'd get the scripts out, and, and people would go through it. And I, I can't remember exactly, but I'm, I'm going to guess that perhaps... That game was produced by um, one of my early teachers and a friend of your show, John Shannon. So uh, anyway, we're sitting around and the guys are, we're having a conversation. And as it always was, we're talking about hockey and what was going on that day or the days before. And I'm sitting there quietly, you know, I haven't, I've just been introduced to him and conversation comes up. And um, I, I think it had, as I recall, it was, some controversial story. I think it was like, you know, Hall of Famer Glenn Anderson had been playing the Jets and he got his stick up on somebody and clunked him around. And, and so now the conversation is about, well, was that good or bad or, you know, and so Howie, being the Hall of Famer and the player, you know, he's, his point of view was, geez, you know, well, guys, you know, sometimes the great players have to get outside the box and do a little something, something to create the space they need to be brilliant. <laughs> so it was going on and I, I, inadvertently I, I i piped up well yeah i get it but you know what about guys like gretz and howard uh, you know you don't see them doing that and they're pretty successful well oh my lord he he goes off and just starts telling me this that and the other thing and so now the next thing i know i'm engaged in this back and forth with howie beaker and um i don't know three four or five minutes goes by and then fortunately the conversation changed and and uh, now I'm sitting at the table, and I am petrified. <laughs> like, oh, that was a career-limiting move. I just had, just met Howie Meeker, the, the legend, and I just had an argument with him. So long story short, you know, we break up. We go to the rink. We do our stuff. We come back. I head back over to the rink to do my work, and, and I'm sitting there in the, up in the booth, and I am, I'm mortified. I'm thinking, this guy... He can't stand me. I'm the, some little upstart who, who had a difference of opinion with the, with with Howie Meeker, and uh, so I'm pretty worried. Four thirty-five o'clock. Howie comes in. He comes up to the booth. He walks right up to me. Gord, how are you? Good to see you. What have you got for me tonight? And I said, Oh, okay. Well, here I've got some of these notes, and I've laid them out for you. And and uh, he put he had these really big hands, really not a big tall guy, but had big mitts. And uh, he put one of those paws on my shoulder, and he looked at me, and he said. That was a great conversation we had this morning. You keep that up. That's what we need. Now, what do you got? We're going to have a great show tonight. And I, I was in awe. Uh, that was the that was the very beginnings of what turned into a, a thirty plus year tremendous friendship that I had with Howie. Man, quite a tale, and a, and a long friendship started right there. We're back after the news with Harner Ryan Singh. Best of Inside Sports on six thirty, Chet. 6.30 Chad Inside Sports with Reed Wilkins. Weekdays at 6 on 6.30 Chad.